Hey everybody, I'm Francesca Maxime and this is Wise Girl for February 7th, 2019. We are just a week before Valentine's Day. Of course, this is somewhat of a constructed holiday. We all know that where we buy chocolates and flowers and cards. But in theory, it's meant to celebrate love, which I think most certainly the world could use more of an injection of or more of a reminder of and um, this is one of the uh, beautiful emotions that we can that we can really cultivate intentionally uh, mm -hmm. both internally within ourselves and also relationally with others that we are either in romantic partnership with which we often talk about around valentine's day or friends or family or even people that we don't know very well and either strangers or even enemies that we don't know. How can this quality of love kind of come through? So because it is the occasion of Valentine's Day coming up and this is the Wise Girl, Wise Guy podcast where we invite you to really tap into and discover your own inner wise girl or guy, your own inner wisdom, the one who is always there, never left you, and has a quality of kind of knowing deeply what's right and what feels true for you, that we're always wanting to sort of tap into their wisdom. And today I have a beautiful guest who is going to enable, enable us, I believe, to uh, do that as it relates to what we'll call, what he calls, deeper dating. So how to go about the process of actually selecting a partner by really tapping into your own self and your own vulnerabilities in a, such a beautiful way uh, that you may not necessarily have kind of a, a toolkit for, for how to go about that skillfully. His name is Ken Page. He is a social worker and friend, a renowned psychotherapist, leading psychology today blogger, Huffington Post blogger, and author of the bestseller, as we said, Deeper Dating, How to Drop the Games of Seduction and Discover the Power of Intimacy. This is the book, Deeper Dating. He's been featured in O, The Oprah Magazine, The New York Times, Cosmopolitan, Fox News, Pix11, and more. He's led hundreds of workshops on intimacy and spirituality for thousands of participants and has taught at Columbia, the Omega Institute, and Garrison. Uh, before writing this book, he founded Deeper Dating in 2004, and he just launched this week the Deeper Dating podcast. I could go on and on, but I just don't want to waste any more time. Ken Page, welcome. So good to be here. Francesca, thanks so much. Here. I'm so thrilled. Um, I'm so thrilled. Tell us a little bit about this Deeper Dating podcast that you just launched this week. Oh, sure. Well, you know, my joy, my delight is teaching. I love teaching. I love getting to teach. And, and, and writing a book is a slow and exquisite and demanding process. And it's like teaching in slow-mo. And uh, so now with this podcast, I get to teach and teach and teach. And I'm excited about the format because what I have is uh, four episodes a month and two of them are me teaching points about the search for love that no one gets taught, that I was not taught, that, let, that was a big help in my being what I called chronically single for decades. And so I get to teach these things that I think are deep, rich life lessons, God lessons, soul lessons, and dating lessons all at the same time. And then I also get to interview experts whose work I love and adore. And I would love to have you on the podcast at some point. So I'm yes. you. I would love to. I would love to. Um, 
and you have such a beautiful um, offering because podcasts, of course, are some of the ways in which you we offer our gifts, um, you know, sort of gratis. And people can always, you know, Ken practicing, you can come in and you can... You can book a session with Ken. You can take his classes online. You can do any of these other things that he has in addition to listening to the podcast. And you, of course, can buy the book, Deeper Dating, which mm-hmm. I highly recommend even for those who aren't in the process of dating right now because yeah. it's more of a book, I think, about self-discovery uh, because you talk about yeah. core gifts. Yeah. Can we start with core gifts? I think that is the place to start. So, yeah, absolutely. Okay, so let's so let's just define this for our listeners who are oftentimes mindfulness um, practitioners, maybe not. Um, I like to say that this is sort of a way of looking at how to how to date mindfully, right? Yes. And, and yes. that begins with um, mindful, curious, friendly attention to our own experience inside. And sometimes when we get to our vulnerabilities or our little ouch spots or the parts of us that have been hurt in the past, we sometimes find workarounds and ways that we kind of manage our lives that may not always open us up to love in the way that we think they might. So talk about core gifts and, and how do we shift our vulnerabilities to strengths. I would love to. And, you know, what you just said reminds me of Jung's comment that neurosis is essentially a flight from suffering, that those workarounds are neurosis. I think there's another truth, too, which I'll talk about as connected to core gifts, which is this, that we not only flee suffering, we flee our deepest joy. And that's a deep, that's like the esoteric truth. And it's one that we don't talk about enough. But the architecture with which we flee our joy is one of the most critical points there is. And core gifts are the place where our deepest joys and our deepest hurts live. So, okay, so just imagine a target. And imagine that that the closer you get into the center of the target, you're getting in closer and closer to the beating heart of your humanity. That's the place where your heart sings. That's the place where your heart sings. That's the place where you feel inspired, where you feel deep, deep sense of connection and joy, meaning, creativity. But it's also the place where you get hurt the worst because it's scariest to show the core and the raw self that we are. So Picture this target. The closer you get into the center, to the bullseye, the closer you're getting to your true authentic self, the place where your heart is most alive in pain, in joy, in inspiration, in pain, in meaning. That's a heavy place. That's an intense place. That's a place that it takes a lifetime to learn how to bear and share. So, we build these workarounds and we create these airbrushed versions of ourself. And if you could imagine that every ring in this target is a ring away from the heat, the intensity, the sensitivity of your core, it's a safer version of you. Well, the good news is you feel more protected, you feel more cool, you feel more justified, you feel more like everyone else. The bad news is that every ring out moves you to a colder place because it moves you away from the heated core of your being, the place where your beauty is. And what I came to discover, and this was a realization that took a lot of my lifetime as a therapist and as a human being, 
is that the places where we feel the most insecure, the most vulnerable, the most tender, the most uncertain, are our greatest gifts. And the degree to which, the degree to which we move away from those parts or don't share them or work around them or airbrush them, to that degree, we're going to A, feel empty, and B, end up in situations with people who don't love us for who we are. The very things that we most feel timid about sharing in our romantic journeys are the things that are going to most deeply draw us to the kind of love we're seeking. And there's, this is like what I call the deeper physics of dating. There's a formula here. And the formula is the degree to which we treasure those parts of ourselves and dignify them. To that degree, we're going to be sexually and romantically attracted to people who are really good for us and find those people. And the degree to which we feel ashamed or embarrassed or awkward or like we don't really want to share those parts of ourselves until we know somebody's in love with us, to that degree, we're going to find ourselves drawn to masochistic romantic situations with people who don't know how to honor us. It's almost like a miracle how true that is. And I've seen countless times that as you go through the journey of saying, all right, what are the places, what are my core gifts? The, people, the places I could be the most hurt or the most inspired. The places I'm the most timid to reveal in my sex life, my romance life. What are those parts? How can I learn to honor and treasure them? Who are the people in my life who honored and treasured them and kind of gave me a key out of that self-inflicted prison of not knowing who I was and not knowing how to treasure it? When we start asking ourselves those questions and we make a decision in our dating life that we're only, only, only looking for people who, who we feel safe with in those parts of ourselves, who can honor them and treasure them, when we make that decision, our entire search for love changes. And it's an honoring of who we are. Hence, our entire lives begin to change. And that's the deeper dating journey that I teach. I absolutely love what you're saying. And I just mm. want to really underscore this because what you're saying is, is one, we have, and correct me if I'm wrong, or clarify if you will. Um, one is, we have to be aware of what's really here. And that's our mindful attention to our own actual experience, not our perceived experience, not the experience we want to be having, not the one that we, that we had, not the one that we used to have, not the situation that was lost or whatever, right? Yeah. And so that's the beginning. Yes. Or no, go ahead. You want to say something? Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we also have to not pay attention to that constructed self, that all of that fucking dating advice tells us that we need to follow. More confident, better abs, better glutes, um, wittier, flirtier, more irresistible. That stuff is death to authenticity. Oh, and there's a whole gender piece about that too. We're supposed to be like, like this is such old sexism in new bottles. This whole thing about women have to just embrace their femininity or they'll never find an alpha male and that men have to be alpha men because if they're not, they're never going to find the woman they desire. It's just agony for me to listen to that. And so many teachers teach it. So yeah, authenticity has to come before all of that crappy dating advice stuff. 
about who you're supposed to be to be successful in your search for love. Just have to add that in. Yeah, no, I love all that. So basically throw whatever, you know, they're telling you out the wind, you know, the, the window. I, I, I mean, yeah, embrace your cellulite or your scars or your, you know, quirky laugh or whatever it is that, you know, you may not be 100%, um, I don't know, like the, the, the part of you that you've projected, right? Turn toward it. Um, so the one part then there is being with your actual experience. Uh, the second part that I hear you saying in general about what the process of deeper dating and really embracing your core gifts uh, entails is that you are in being with that able to recognize what your vulnerabilities are and be with them. Meaning that you actually have cultivated an, an ability or at least a willingness, if not a complete ability to kind of say, yeah, I do have that cellulite. Mm, yep, I do have those scars. Yeah, it's true. My hair looks different than it did or whatever. And that doesn't have anything to do with my magnificence as a human being and my ability to find or connect with another being in a romantic way. And that that ability precedes the ability of someone else to be able to meet you there. Somehow that's true. That's really true. And I, I want to just kind of, <clears throat> excuse me, differentiate between the physical stuff, the cellulite, psoriasis, the overweight, all of that. I want to talk about that a little. And, and the qualities in us, the emotional qualities, although they're, they're actually connected in fascinating ways, but the emotional qualities as well that we feel ashamed of and timid of. What I teach is that the parts of you that you feel the most insecure, the, the parts of you that you feel the most insecure about reveal your core gifts. And there's a process that you can do that can teach you how to go into the places you're the most insecure and find out what the core gift is that, that lies there that you have not fully embraced. And when you learn to cherish that, your life experience and your romantic experience will change. Now, around this stuff about the overweight, the cellulite, the balding, the whatever it is, that's connected. That's really connected in a lot of ways. But um, what I want to say is that, that, that I, in my research, have seen people who were paraplegic finding love, people who were in their 90s finding love, so many different things. The process of finding love is different than we're taught. And yeah, there is something about, I know a wonderful woman, a coach, who spent all this time looking in the mirror at her 70-something-year-old body naked until she could look at it and say, this is beautiful. This is a beautiful body. She spent a lot of time crying, a lot of time soul-searching, but she reached that point that she was able to embrace it all. Um, and Charlotte Commons, her name is, she's a wonderful coach. And uh, so, so yeah, that, that journey of also embracing the physical parts. And if you're thinking, I got to lose that 20 pounds before I go out to date, stop thinking it, go out there. I promise you there are people who are going to be sexually turned on to you exactly the way you look now. Yeah. That's a little bypass, but I just wanted to say that. No, I, I, I love that. I love that. And so, so it's the acceptance of the, your own um, emotional vulnerabilities, as well as any perceived physical imperfections or whatever. But then it's the, you know, awareness that, okay, wait, if I can accept this, then someone else can and will 
accept this. So then it's like a different skill set, right? It's the cultivation of patience. And then it's also going back to the quote that you said either off camera or on camera earlier, I forget, which is the opening to joy. We, are, we, we not only flee our suffering, we flee our deepest joy. So I think some people are terrified of actually getting what they want because they're so not used to it. They don't know what it looks like. And then it scares the hell out of them because it's unfamiliar. So can you talk about how we cannot sabotage, sabotage ourselves that way? Yeah, I'd love to. So here's the deal. The closer you get to the center of the target, the closer you're getting to vastness, the closer you're getting to a level of sensitivity that is beyond the mind, the closer you're getting to a level of passion that is beyond the norms of our culture and your own norms. It's about vastness. It's about something really powerful. And we cannot just jump into the depth of our joy and pain automatically. It's a homeopathic process. Day by day, learning to bear, as Blake said, the bear, bear the beams of love, but bear the beauty, sadness, the creativity inside you because it's vast. It comes from a land that is bigger than we imagine. So I want to honor and dignify the, 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 the profundity of that journey. And I want to say that something we tell ourselves that gets us in trouble again and again, and I want to ask everyone to consider reframing this. Do you ever say to yourself, I'm just being too sensitive? That's a line we tend to say, or, or I'm being too much. Um, so you experience a level of joy in a moment and you think, oh, that's silly that I'm moved to tears. Like that's like too much. That's like a little embarrassing. That's so earnest. That's so uncool. Or it's so wild. This joy is so deep. I just kind of have to bank it a little bit. Or, or you feel like you have an interaction with someone and it hurts your heart. It just cuts a little bit. And you think, I'm being too sensitive. Those are points where you are touching your core gift and walking away from it. And if you could instead think, what if I honored what's hurting me? What's hurting my heart here? I'm going to find out what it is because it's something valuable and precious about my being able to register something off in a connection. Or a joy so deep that it's, you know, maybe I'm going to go with this instead because maybe it's a vast joy. As we learn to do that, we become more vast. We become more grounded. And best of all, we lose our taste for people that chip away at our sense of self-worth. We lose interest in them. They become less hot and less sexy and less compelling to us. I love that. It, it, yeah. Like one minute, you know, you were thinking that this was like, you know, the best thing since sliced bread. And the next minute you're like, ooh, this is stale toast. Yes, that's exactly right. And literally we can change. We cannot force our sexual attractions, we, but we can educate them. And as we cherish, this is like a promise. As you learn to cherish those parts of yourself where you're the most human, the most tender, the most passionate, as you learn to honor those with a kind of dignity, you are going to start meeting people who also do. You will. You will. And there's actually really interesting research, like serious academic research on that, on, on the reasons for that. Um, and you will find yourself sexually 
and romantically attracted to people like that more and more. Your dating field will change. Your field will change. Often when I work with people and they do the work of this kind of recognizing their core gifts, and I want to give you the two great questions for discovering your own core gifts. And you yeah, so let me just bookmark that. Everybody, we're going to be getting the two great questions for discovering your core gifts and you can find them in the deeper dating book. Again, all the 12 steps that are here, they're 12 steps. They're not That's really right. Right. Yeah. You know, it's 12 chapters. Yeah. I don't mean it like a 12 step program, but I guess it is of a different kind. Um, so let's hear the two great questions to ask yourself. Um, maybe get out a pen if you can to yeah. know what your core gifts are. Thank you so much for bookmarking that in such a gorgeous way. I appreciate that. <laughs> um, and, and there's a process that you can do. And I'd like you to give yourself two days to do this process. Two days and a journal. That's all you need. And here's what it is. Over the course of two days, notice the things that inspire you and touch your heart, that quicken your sense of inspiration. Notice what they are. Write them down. And notice the things that hurt your heart. Now, here's what's going to happen. With the beautiful things, you're going to have a tendency to pass over them quickly and move to the next to-do list, the next thing on your to-do list, or the next problem you got to figure out. I'm asking you not to do that. I'm asking you to give that swell of joy or inspiration an extra moment or two to take all the space that it needs and to honor it. And write down what it is that gave you that joy. And when you have an experience where your heart is hurt by something, where even if it feels just like a paper cut, like a psychic paper cut, you don't notice it at first. And then you're like, ooh, something stung here. Um, or something that really does hurt. Instead of telling yourself to be less sensitive, instead of telling yourself that you need an immediate solution, I'd like you to dignify the pain by saying, what's the part of me that cared about something that was hurt? Something I cared about was stepped on. Something I cared about was cut, was injured, was not dignified. What is that? You ask yourself that question. After two days of doing this and making notes, it's going to be like a connect the dots puzzle. There's all these dots. Those are those points of inspiration. Those are those points of pain. But when you connect them, a picture will emerge. And you will see the stuff that means the most to you in your relationships, in the world, and that will be your guide to what your core gifts are. All right, devil's advocate. I see it, I look at it, and I say, ew, I shouldn't have to, like, like, how can that be okay? Or, gee, uh, you know, I sound like kind of a, a wuss here. Or, you know, what, what about that voice that can come in and just say, okay, so I did the work, and yeah, that hurt me, but I should have been able to be tougher. It shouldn't have bothered me. Or I love that you're asking that question. That's the next stage. And assume, everybody, that that's going to happen to you. Assume that's going to happen to you. I remember a, a moment, a very defining moment in my own therapy where my therapist said to me, Ken, can you picture your eight-year-old? And I said to her, I will not picture my eight-year-old. I don't want to picture my eight-year-old. I hate my eight-year-old. He's so weak. He's so this. He's so that. And I just knew that I couldn't even touch that part of me. So I want to I honor that, that when you do this, your first reaction will be, I'm too much. I'm not enough. 
whatever it is that you'll tell yourself. That's the process. That's in the book in detail. I tell you that you will hit that and how you get through it. And one quick way to think about this that will help you, because when you feel that, that means you're on the right path. <laughs> Dig deeper. And you need to say, how might this be a gift? And one way that, you know, and there's a staged process I teach in my courses and my book that we won't have time for here. But one way to do that is to think of who was someone in my life who stepped on this part of me? And what did that feel like? What was the pain that caused? And who was someone in my life who gave that part of me oxygen, who didn't tell that part of me it was shameful, but loved it and appreciated it? And what did that feel like? That will help you begin to reclaim the gift until you know the gift at the bottom of that. You will not be able to be as whole as you're meant to be. So that's my, my answer, that your devil's advocate is actually the middle stage of this process. But then if you go deeper and you say, well, what is the gift? If I frame this as a gift, what might it be? People take advantage of me all the time. I feel like a wuss. I give, I give, I end up with people that take and take. How the hell is that a gift? When you dig a little deeper and you realize there is a wellspring of generosity in you. And all your life, you've been connecting to people who take advantage of it, but aren't the kind of person who knows how to give that back. When you realize that, you start to dignify your generosity. And I just want to point out that codependency is the gift of generosity. It's the gift of powerful generosity that has never been fully honored or dignified in our systems. I love that you're depathologizing that because I think it's so hard for people, especially women who've been conditioned. To yes. Kind to folks. I mean, not that it can't happen to anyone because it can, but I think especially even now in 2019, women and girls still being told, be nice, play nice, this, that, and whatever. And men or boys, I should say, when they're young and they want to do that and they want to connect from that place of true connection are like, why would you want to do that? Why are you being so, and they might use a bad, quote unquote, bad word and, and say something nasty about a guy who's really a little one, a little man, a little boy, who's trying to reach out and connect in that way. And so that idea of dignifying your generosity, I absolutely love. And um, that codependency, quote unquote, is just somebody who isn't meeting your generosity, receiving. Yeah, it. codependency is not a wise use of it fierce and powerful generosity, which is in fact a core gift. And it's a perfect example of how we get the most wounded around the places where the most gifted. And here's the great news. The minute you begin to say, no, this is a gift. This generosity is a soul gift. The minute you do that, you're going to start losing your taste for those people that take advantage of you. And you're going to start finding people little by little who are like you. They give because they're built to give. They believe in giving. And those are the people that are your path to happiness. So that's an example. So the benefit, so, okay. So here's the thing. I heard you just say very clearly, no. And in my experience with my students and, um, you know, my somatic experiencing clients, sometimes the big issue is boundaries. They don't know how to say, no, I'm turning away from that stale toast. No, I'm turning away from the takers. 
I'm turning toward or opening to more of the givers that have my giving energy. That's right. That can be a stuck point for folks, the boundary. Absolutely. Absolutely. And here's what I want to say. You can't white knuckle that stuff. Well, maybe you can, and you probably should if you're stuck in it and you're addicted to someone who's not good for you, you'll, you'll need help. Um, but as you dignify that quality in you, as you actually learn to call it a core gift, just watch what happens. Your inner self will begin to reorganize and you will lose your taste for those people. This really happens. I love that. Yeah, you just don't have a tolerance for it anymore. And yeah. It's just sort of like, I'm wasting my time. I have better priorities. I got to spend my time with people who are being generous also, because this is what I got to be doing. And, and I've right. wasted 20 years doing it the other way. So let me try something else. That's right. And if you, call, if you just tell yourself you need to accept, I need to accept I'm a generous person, it's not going to be good enough. You need to say, this is a gift. This is a gift. This, is, this generosity has a wellspring so deep and makes such a difference. In the, it's a good thing. It deserves to be honored and protected. And that I want to put out, just to raise a a separate point here, I want to ask people to consider, people who are single, to consider, and and people who are coupled too, but for people who are searching for love, I would ask you to, instead of approaching it like, who am I attracted to and who's attracted to me back, to ask yourself, of course that's important, but ask yourself, this as your leading core pivotal question. Does my soul feel safe with this person? Does my soul feel feel safe? Or if you don't like the word soul, does my heart feel safe? In a deep way, do I feel safe with that person? If the answer is not yes, you move on. If the answer is yes, you move forward. Now, that, of course, you have to be sexually attracted to someone, romantically attracted to someone. But when you make that your number one question, in some profound way, you are starting to lead with your deep self. You are starting to dignify that deep self. And your world changes. You are shifting the field of your dating life and your search for love. You know, I love that you're saying that because in my own direct experience, in my relationships and in my dating life, I have had people that I can say that that absolutely was not there. And I was kind of like, you know, going back like Pavlov's dog, you know, whatever. And then I can tell you the people that I have felt where I knew that that was there. And it was, it is so different at a core level. And, you know, it's just a fundamental piece where you kind of know, like, ah, I feel like I can just be okay here right now. Yeah. As opposed to like, I got to do this performance of being in some kind of relationship where if I don't do this, then I might get rejected. And if I do do this, then maybe I'll get love. And it's more transactional and very, um, I don't know, it takes, it's effortful. Not that relationships don't ultimately be, you know, requiring of work and effort, uh, no matter what. But not that kind. Not that kind. Not that kind. Yeah. Right. Oh, beautifully said. Yeah. We have 16 minutes. Do we have time for an exercise that you want to do? Or should we bookmark that and maybe try to do another podcast? Because I feel like it might be helpful. Um, you know what? I'd love to do another podcast, but I'm kind of itching to do this exercise and give it to folks. Go for it. Yeah, yeah, I'd love to. I'd love to because your description of your podcast 
and the way you, you both, both the written description and then what you said today, this is a process, this is an exercise that empowers that exact goal. So um, this is an exercise that I do every day. Um, and it's life-changing. I feel it's life-changing. And um, it's, 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 you've probably done variants of it. You may have done this exact process before, but it comes from the concept, it comes from two concepts. One is that mentorship is a powerful way to learn. It's the most powerful way. We learn best through relationships with people who are where we wanna be. That's explosive learning, that's sweet learning, that's fast learning. And the other piece that this comes from is if there's a place you want to go, a place you wanna be, very, excuse me, very often the wisest way to get there is not by just battling the obstacles in front of you, but by imagining what your goal point is and calling out directions to yourself from there. And that's what you're going to be doing. It's like cheating at a maze. I don't know if you ever cheated at a maze, but if you've got a little maze puzzle, you start on the outside, you got to work your way in and it's frustrating. It's everything. It's difficult. You hit obstacles. But if you take your pencil and put it in the center of the maze and work your way out, you will pretty much know instantly how to get out of there. And that's what we're going to be doing in this process. I call it the inner mentor process. And what you're going to be doing is imagining the you you dream of being. Then you're going to do like method acting. You're going to jump into that role and become that person. And then you're going to give instructions to yourself. So if you want, you can get out a paper and pen right now. But you don't you Good. I got it. Good, good, good. And here's the process. I'm going to lead you in it right now. So close your eyes. Eyes closed. Eyes closed. Get comfortable. Just relax. Okay. Settling in. Yes. Settle in a little bit. Ease yourself into a place of comfort. And now I want you to remember a time that you felt like you were really you. Like that you were comfortable in your own skin and you were just being a very kind of free and flowing version of yourself. Now, who knows how that turned out? Maybe the world wasn't ready. The world that you had around you might not have been ready for all of you at that point. But that doesn't matter now. I just want you to remember what it felt like in this memory of just being a flowing, free, alive you. A you on the other side of all your inner glass ceilings. Like the you that you're meant to be. And remember maybe a time or two that you felt that. And what that tasted like. You don't have to be there. You don't have to get back there. I just want you to remember even a little what that tasted like. What that was like to be in those free skies. And now I'd like you to remember a time that you really loved. A time that you really loved, that you really were in a place of flowing love. A time that you allowed yourself to love deeply and fully. Let's not worry about what happened with it. Let's just stay with where you were 
And just remember, especially if it could be a time that was just a very positive time for you, that's the best kind of memory, where you were really, where love was flowing out of you and you felt all the love in your heart. Just remember what that felt like and what that tasted like. And now, I'd like you to imagine an older sister, older brother version of you, a more evolved version of you, where you are living that. You're living from that place where you are just Francesca, where you are just whatever your name is, where you are just that self. And you picture a wiser, more evolved version of you who lives there, baby, lives there. You don't have to earn it. Just imagine it. And now just look at that person's face, that you of the future. Look at, look at her face. Look at his face. What do her eyes reflect? Maybe what's she wearing? What's he wearing? But what does the face reflect? What do the eyes reflect? Just take that in. That you you're meant to be. That free you. And now, imagine that you just jump in into that self. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to do anything. You just imagine that you are in her, that you are in him, that you are in them. And what does it feel like to be behind the eyes of that you? This really self-accepting for you. What does it taste like? What does it feel like? The you you're meant to be. Taste it. Just let yourself taste that you. And now, imagine the you of today. You stay in the role of this evolved you, your inner mentor. And imagine the you of today, struggling, working, growing. What do you most want to call out to her? What do you most want to impart to him? From this place, what do you most want to share? Think about what that is. And either just speak it, think it, or write it down and take a few moments to do that. And now imagine opening your arms, opening your arms for a hug from this you who's not quite there yet but longs to be, and bring her into your arms. Bring him into your arms. Bring them into your arms. And just have that lovely sense of connection, of a hug. And know that you can come go to this mentor anytime, 30-second process, 10-second process. Imagine you're there and think of what you would want to say, and you'll almost always get brilliant advice. So now come back to yourself and just take that advice and just hold it to your heart. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to accomplish it. Just love it. Because by loving this advice, you will actually day by day become that self. And that's the process. Slowly come back. Open your eyes. Thank you, Ken. Wow, I love that. You know, it's... um. 
it's so powerful to me and we could get into a whole thing about imaginal work and the limbic brain and how it doesn't know the difference between what we're imagining and what we're actually experiencing and how we can bring ourselves into the future that we envision and you know all these things that sound woo woo but are actually like rooted in neuroscience and the way that our you know neurophysiology actually is um that we're that we're that we're acknowledging and moving toward um, what Nancy Napier, uh, another person that, uh, you know, was one of my teachers, uh, our optimal future self. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And isn't it amazing? Did you notice how, I mean, I have a big critical voice. I'm a Virgo and I'm a gay man who grew up in the 50s and the 60s. Believe me, I got a critical voice inside of me. Every time I do this exercise, it bypasses my critical voice. So I'm wondering if you noticed that too, that somehow it bypassed your own critical voice when you did it. Um, I guess I really, I don't know. My critical voice didn't emerge that much really in this. Yeah, um, that's what happens. Yeah, I don't know if it was a bypass, if it just didn't uh -huh. stop there as much because my orientation is, and I think this is your whole point is, is, my whole awakening is around the idea that there's nothing wrong with you and there never was. Mm. That we are conditioned by our experiences and our histories and our ancestors and our context in terms of where we are in life and that we learn behaviors that were very required for our survival relationally and otherwise when we were young, often, and that those can have different influences on us. And when we carry forward patterns of behavior that aren't helpful today in our life, that were helpful then, and we confuse those patterns for who we really are, we can get a little lost and forget. And so this is the reclamation and the rejoining or the remembering or the sati, if you want to use mindfulness language of reconnecting this piece of who we really are and who we can remember ourselves to really be. Yes, and building a friendship, an actual living, vibrant friendship with that self. And um, you know, as a, as a therapist, often I'll hit a point with clients where I'll say, because all my clients do this inner mentor work, um, I'll say, let's connect with your inner mentor. And, and they'll connect with their inner mentor. And as good a therapist as I am, and I think I'm a really good therapist, Almost always what they come up with is wiser than anything I could have thought. It's an amazing experience because you're somehow tapping into um, the wisdom that, you, that is coexisting within you that we just you know, often don't notice. So I love this exercise and I love this exercise for your podcast listeners because it seems to be so connected to your goal. Yeah, no, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. I mean, we can go back or we could go forward wherever our wisdom is, you know, in, 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 in some, um, you know, sort of modalities. We talk about seven generations forward and back. And then mm. we talk about all my relations. All yeah. my relations. And that includes all my relations to all my wisdom parts inside that beautiful. I could not have yeah. recognized as the core gifts that they are. It takes an inner village. Oh my God. Yeah, it sure does. And we are almost out of time. Deeper Dating, Ken Page, the new website, if you want to check out the deeperdatingpodcast.com is just that, deeperdatingpodcast.com. And then Ken's website is kenpage, P-A-G-E-L-C-S-W.com, if I have that right. 
You do, but you can actually just go to deeperdating.com and that'll bring you right to Ken Page LCSW. Got it. And you want to just talk for one second about your online offerings for folks? Oh, sure, sure. I actually have closed my private practice, but I offer intensives for people who are coaches and therapists or have just done a lot of work on themselves and now really want to commit in a deep and serious way to finding a wonderful, healthy relationship. The groups are only open to 10 people at a time. They're six months long. They're powerful. They're rich. Um, and I adore doing them. I also teach classes with the Shift Net through the Shift Network. Um, you can find out about that too. And there, then, and my book and my podcast are wonderful ways to get free information about my work. Absolutely, I highly recommend everyone. And um, really, I think the best thing that we didn't totally get into is all of this work came out of your own personal journey. You alluded to it a little bit earlier. And I just want to say that your disclosure of the book and, you know, just sort of the whole, like, you've made all the messy mistakes that we all make along the way. And you still found, you know, you're, you're, you're married, you have kids, you're happy in your life and that it's possible. Yeah. A lot of confusion. So possible. So possible. And you know, hopefully this is going to make it a lot quicker for people than it was for me. Beautiful. Well, that's why we're sharing the wisdom. Ken Page, thank you so much. Deeper dating, everyone. Happy Valentine's Day. Take care. Happy Valentine's Day. Thanks so much. All right. Bye-bye.